you turn tonight to Romans 8, we'll pick up in verse 5 and down through verse 13, the second installment, the second portion of our new life. You know, as we think about the way that we now are, uh, our lives as Christians are so radically different than they used to be before we met Jesus. Now, they're instantaneously radically different because the moment you come to faith in Christ, you actually have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is placed within you as a guarantee, as a guide, someone who is there with you at all times to convict you of things that are wrong, sin, and and to direct you and convict you of those things which are right, righteousness. And, And so your life is completely different than it used to be in that regard. And so now the Apostle Paul is going to shift and move towards this new life in the Spirit. Up to this point in time, there's only been one mention in the entire first portion of the book of Romans of the work of the Holy Spirit. There's been all this doctrinal truth that's been taught to us, and now we get to that place to where, how does this happen? What's going on in our lives? And so from here on out, the remainder of this chapter, some 20 times we'll see the Holy Spirit mentioned. Several names, and we'll get to those in a moment. But we're, we're going to see now the work of the Spirit, the life of the believer, in that new life that we now live. Because not only is there no condemnation, that's true, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. From last week... But now we actually are empowered to live differently. So not only are we not condemned, our sin's taken care of. Forgiveness is ours. So we have the problem taken care of. But now we're going to see that we also have the new life taken care of going forward. And so a very encouraging passage of scripture for us tonight. Pray that it ministers to you as it did to me as I was studying all week long. And so uh, join me as we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this truth that not only is that new life a life without condemnation, the enemy uh, can't get to us anymore because we are in Christ and because of that, uh, his righteousness has been placed in our account. But also we have the capacity now to live lives that are different, no longer governed by sin or no longer overpowered by that old man that lives within each of us but rather empowered by the Holy Spirit to resist sin and to live a new life in Christ. And so speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5 here in Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And so we saw that we're no longer condemned. We live this new life. And so he draws now some contrasts. And those contrasts become very clear Someone who doesn't know the Lord lives exactly one way, and that's after the things of the flesh. However good that may look. There are some people who live in the flesh, and they really don't look that bad. Maybe they're kind, perhaps they're generous, maybe they live even a morally upright life, but nonetheless, they live for and in the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, and so you see the contrast. And so now what happens, because we've been saved, because we no longer under that bondage, that weight of sin, we have a new life that we can live that previously was impossible because without that work of the Spirit, you're simply going to do what comes naturally to you, which is to live for your flesh. 
however that flesh actually looks. And so now you have the opposite ability. This new life is a life that's governed by the Spirit of God. And so we begin this march through these next couple of verses. I want you to notice some eight times here in just these handful of verses, the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit by name, and called in verse 9, all three persons of the Godhead. Goes on in verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. Notice it's not at enmity, it actually is enmity. It is directly set against the righteousness of God. Your carnal mind is actually an adversary in that sense of righteousness. Now it may be a small adversary, but it is actually an adversary of the things of God. So it is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God. Remember, the law of God is only good for the righteous. It doesn't do a thing for the unrighteous. The unrighteous person walks against the law of God already, so the law doesn't square anybody away. It just defines the problem. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity with God, it's not subject to the law of God. Nor can it be. And so then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now people object to that verse. You mean there's no such thing as a good person without Christ? In the sense that God is speaking in his word, yes, that's true. Because good here is perfect. Good here is righteous. When you're comparing godly things, you have to use godly terms. Comparing it to Christ's righteousness. You see, so when you think of someone who is in the flesh, they can't please God because the standard they have is not God's standard. It's the world's standard. You talk to people that you know, live a life of relative debauchery, and they're pretty good that they're, they're only in a little bit of sin most of the time. They actually think that's goodness. They confuse lust with love. They, they confuse social drinking with drunkenness. They confuse, well, I'm only slightly stoned with I'm completely out of my mind. You know, the the definitions of words get changed when you're in the flesh versus in the spirit. What you tolerate is different when you're in the flesh versus in the spirit. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. See, as a believer, you're no longer in the flesh. Now, you can succumb to the flesh in temptation, but you're no longer governed by it. You've been set free from the bondage of sin and death by salvation in Christ Jesus, and so you're no longer under the mastery of your flesh. Before, you couldn't do much about your flesh. You could resist a little bit just on basic morality, but you had no capacity to overcome your fleshly desires without Christ. You just kind of went with the flow. Whatever happened, happened. And whatever you did, you did. And basically, most of us really didn't even recognize 
uh, when we were without Christ, it were really even that far gone until all of a sudden the light goes on and I realize that I'm a sinner. And I desperately need a Savior. And so now, because we're not in the flesh, but we're in the Spirit, if indeed, and notice this in verse 9, first you have the Spirit itself, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God the Father. So it's being very definitive here, making sure that we understand that the full of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, is in view here. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And then he goes on to say, and now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ. So you see all three persons mentioned there. The Spirit by itself, the Spirit of God, which is also, the Holy Spirit is God, so you'd expect God, who is the Father, to also be equivalent to the Holy Spirit. And so there's, there's this play on words, if you will, to help us understand that the Holy Spirit wasn't something new that God invented at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit being God was also in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, the Ruach Elohim. The Spirit of God that hovered over the face of this this vast void that was the uncreated creation. An empowered creation to come to be. And so the Spirit of God has power. Amen? If the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, this uncreated mass that is earth, and then all of a sudden burst forth all of this life, that's a pretty powerful creative capacity amen now if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he is not his it's very simple family you cannot be a christian and not be indwelt by the holy spirit so if there is no conviction of sin no conviction of righteousness you need to ask yourself whether you have a genuine relationship with jesus christ or not Because if you do not have those two things active in your life, there is a good chance that somehow you missed a real relationship with Jesus. Because someone who is a Christian will have the indwelling Spirit of God. Very clear here. And if Christ is in you, that's not a question. Again, that goes back to the because. Because Christ is in you. It's not if as if there's something in view there that may not be a possibility because you are a believer the spirit of christ is in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life and again it goes back to this picture of creation and the earth was without form and void and the holy spirit comes upon this mass and the things that god created are then formed or shaped All of that matter that God puts into play, the Holy Spirit acts on. And the same is true for you as a believer spiritually. You become a new creation in Christ, but in that sense you're without form and void. You don't know a great depth of spiritual things. And so the Spirit begins to work on you to mold you and shape you into the image of Jesus. It's a very wonderful process. You see, when Scripture uses there in Genesis chapter 1, the word create and the word made, they're two different words, two different Hebrew words. Bara and asa. One means to take nothing and make something out of it. That's really hard to do, and only God can do that. But people can form stuff. You can take the dirt that God made and make things out of it. Amen? The Holy Spirit 
works on what God has wrought because it was God the Father's plan. Jesus Christ the Son fulfilled that plan at Calvary's cross, which we celebrate in Passion Week this coming week. And because of that salvation, that grace that's come to you, now the Holy Spirit acts on what God has created. In times past, you were seen as saved before the foundation of the world. The Jesus Christ, our Savior, comes, makes it a possibility. You receive that grace of God, and now the Holy Spirit starts to work in your life and to make you into the image of Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said, you were created in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world for good works that you should walk in them. You need some help with that, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And so this beautiful picture of this new creation, this new life that we have. But the spirit of life, because of righteousness. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Notice the the various ways that the spirit is described here. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, empowered that action that God put forth, that Jesus Christ was a part of, the Holy Spirit raises up Jesus from the dead. But that same Spirit dwells in you. Doesn't that just freak you out? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the very power that lifted Christ out of the tomb, that breathed life back into his dead body and made him alive, is in you. You have a new life, folks. The old things are passing away. And the Holy Spirit is at work on each of us, transforming us into a new creation, a new life. And he will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, one day, because Christ is raised, the same power that raised him will raise you. You have surety, you have assurance. Incredible passage. You see, the Holy Spirit is to us who believe, to believers, what God the Creator is to the physical world. It's an easy way to kind of make the the correlation there. Without Creator God, there would be no creation, amen? And without the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be any believers, The Holy Spirit does that work. The Holy Spirit is the one that spoke to you and said, Jeffrey S. Gill, you are a sinner. I said, what do you mean? And all of a sudden, the conviction of my life came upon me. And then the Holy Spirit empowers the word, which was authored, by the way, by the Holy Spirit through men of old when they wrote. Amen. That's how the word got to us. So the Holy Spirit empowers the word which the Holy Spirit authored and faith comes by hearing and Romans 10, 17, hearing by the word of God. You see how it works together? You see, so we've been created in Christ Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit in that sense. God the Father's plan, Jesus carries it out, the Holy Spirit empowers us and keeps us going. Just like the Holy Spirit right now through the power of Christ is keeping this universe together so the Spirit keeps us together spiritually as we grow in Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the divine 
agent that creates us and sustains us and preserves us and gives us spiritual life and brings us into maturity. It's this incredible picture. The Holy Spirit, by the way, is a he. A lot of people got to look at the Holy Spirit as if it were the Jedi force. It's like, ooh, you know, some kind of crazy thing, you know, you just put your hand out and, you know, things move or whatever. You know, if you just say that these are not the droids you were looking for, that something happens. No, the Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And the reason that we know that is, is what we're told by the word. You can see all three persons of the Godhead there in verse 9, as I already said. He's given attributes that are in every way equivalent to God the Father. In every way equivalent to Jesus Christ the Son. He functions with a mind. Functions with emotion. The Holy Spirit has a will. Loves people. Loves the saints. Communicates to us. We're, we're being taught by. The Spirit guides us. Comforts us. The one we really hate. Chastens us. Ow! That's the Holy Spirit. I don't know how many of you went to school back in the times when the teachers could still, well, they could beat you. <laughs> My seventh grade Spanish teacher, God rest her soul, had the meanest ruler ever. I mean, I was, you know, I was one of those kids that, you know, I thought spit wads were kind of cool. She not so much, especially when they were in her hair. And so she would come and would adjust my attitude by whacking the back of my knuckles with one of those really nice birch rulers. And you know what? I got the point. A little bit of pain went a long way. A little correction, a little rod of correction applied to my life. You see, the Holy Spirit does that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes along and whacks your knuckles. Maybe gives you a little swat. Sometimes, guys, it's the holy two-by-four of love right between your eyes. Some of us need kind of like a cold cock, just like, poof. It's like, okay, do you get it, Jeff? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Because if you won't listen to the little subtle things of the Spirit, when this Holy Spirit is prompting you and prodding you and poking you, because the Holy Spirit can kind of do this, it's like, Jeff. If you don't listen to that, pretty soon it can be. But before you know it, it's. Yeah, the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, lied to, Scripture says, quenched, Scripture says. It's hard to lie to a force, amen? Can be resisted. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit can even be blasphemed. That is a personal relationship. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the rejection of God's plan of salvation through Christ Jesus as Lord. It means that you are actually saying, I do not want him. That makes no sense if you apply it to a force, an impersonal thing. It has to be towards a person. It needs to be understood. So the Holy Spirit is a he. The Bible calls the Spirit all kinds of things. 
We, we saw the Holy Spirit behind even the conception of Jesus as a human being. The Holy Spirit was involved in Jesus' baptism. The anointing of the Lord, the temptation of the Lord. The Holy Spirit actually led Christ into the wilderness. Amen? Isn't that what it says? Read that passage. The Holy Spirit was actually at work with Jesus, so it couldn't be Jesus. It had to be another person leading the Lord. The Holy Spirit, of course, at Pentecost brings this new way that we will now be uh, not just indwelt, but also uh, poured into and poured upon. That experience in, where the Spirit is in us, has happened. That, uh, that sense that the Spirit is around us or near us has always been. The Holy Spirit has always been because the Holy Spirit is God. But now because of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is epi, or upon us in fullness, overflowing us and giving us power for those things that God's called us to do. That was the anointing that we saw of Jesus. In his flesh, he was still a man. He still got tired. He still walked dusty roads. He still ate. He still got hungry. It was one of the reasons he could be tempted in the wilderness. Amen? Wasn't he tempted because he was hungry? I can tell you why. He was fasting for 40 days. Amen? So the Holy Spirit aided him in that temptation as a man. Not as God. He was fully God. But as a human being, fully man... Got hungry just like you and me. So the Holy Spirit came alongside of the flesh of Jesus. The man that Jesus was. And undergirded his flesh just like the Holy Spirit undergirds your flesh, my flesh. Those moments of weakness. Those times when you're, you're terrified, you're sharing Christ with somebody. You have no idea what to say. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you utterance and will teach you what you need to say in that moment. It's staggering how often, all of a sudden, you just become a, you, you become a Bible scholar. The Holy Spirit's just like giving you the Romans road like one scripture after another. For all of sin and fallen short of the glory, it just, boom, comes right out. That's the Holy Spirit prompting you because the word is in you through the Holy Spirit. Now the word can come out of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a personal he, fully active, working in your life, interceding comforting, giving you all the power that you need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. So now we see the work of the Spirit in four very specific ways. You see, your old nature, the way you used to be, you did not have the Spirit and you did not have the capacity to even do this without the Spirit of God. And so now these unique, wonderful ways. You see, what happens is the first work that occurs in your life as a believer is you actually get your nature swapped out. All of our new cars have a central processing unit in them. They have an electronic ignition module, and there's a bunch of computer chips in there that tells your car how to run. And in fact, your car won't. If you pull the brain out of your car, your whole car can be perfect. But if you take away that control module, your car will do zilch, nothing. In the very same way, the Holy Spirit has replaced your control module in your life. So you have now a new set of rules. The way your spiritual engine starts. 
the way your life is governed, the way you move and breathe and think is actually transformed initially by the Spirit in you. So you get a nature change in that sense. In fact, if you have one of the newer cars, you'll notice there on the dash, they have like sport mode. I like that one. It's like your suspension changes, you get a little more horsepower, a little more top end in your car. You see, you now spiritually have a sport mode. Because what you couldn't do before, you can now do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Things that you were incapable of before, your top end has increased in that sense because of that nature change. And so God begins by responding to help us to know that we've had these things by giving us some contrasts. Kind of like the old model before the chip got changed and the new model after the new chip got put in there is a way to look at it. So if you've ever had, like, maybe we can use a computer analogy. For those that have been around a while, you remember when we used to actually sit around with those five and a quarter floppy disks, and you'd have a stack of them about this tall, and they had almost no information on any of them, but you'd sit there for like three days loading like DOS 2.4. You know, you're like, oh, it's crazy. It's like, oh, man. I remember when Windows 3.1 came out. I thought, oh, wow, this will be awesome. Now look, there was literally that's 24 discs in that thing. And I'm like, no, oh, this is terrible. But then all of a sudden things went from megabytes to gigabytes. And from gigabytes, now we're to terabytes of information. Storage capacity, RAM, the random access memory that your computer functions with. We've all had serious upgrades to where our smartphones are way smarter than the computers we used to use in the 90s. Way smart. I mean, infinitely smarter. My new smartphone has, has like a 2.3 gigahertz processor in it. That was unheard of in the 1990s. You couldn't buy one. It didn't exist. So we've had this massive upgrade by the Spirit to new information and new ways to process it. And now you're this supercomputer that's run by the Spirit of God in that sense. And so he gives us these contrasts, and they're basic. You can actually see them very easily. You see, you used to be in the flesh, so your old operating system was called flesh 2.0. Your new one is spirit 8.5. You you, you used to operate over here in carnality and, and, and very simple means of basically taking care of you, and now you want to please others and God. So you've had an upgrade from the flesh to the spirit. Here's a real good one. You went from being dead to alive. You went from being able to pretty much not do much of anything, even though you thought you could, to actually being able to accomplish anything. I can do how many things through Christ who strengthens me? All things, amen? So you went from dead, not able to do much of anything, to All things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a work of the Spirit. A a third contrast. You used to be at war with God. Now, when you have the greatest superpower in the universe, that would be God. And you have a slingshot. And he's got, you know, Holy Spirit-inspired cruise missiles. You kind of don't want to be at war with God. But you were. 
You had an undeclared war. You, maybe you didn't declare war on God, but you were on the wrong side. You were against God. You were at enmity with God. Matter of fact, it was so bad, you were in yourself actually enmity with God. You were against him. You did everything to please yourself and pretty much nothing to please him. And so here's the other contrast. Now you have peace with God. God's going, Jeff, we need to adjust this. So I want to have a relationship with you. So we're going to change some of the things in your life so I can not only have practical peace, circumstantial peace, but I can have mental peace, emotional peace, and most importantly, I can have spiritual peace because I now have the Prince of Peace as my Savior. So I went from war to peace. Pretty incredible contrast, amen? And the final contrast in these verses, 5 through 8, is you went from pleasing self, because see, most of us, though we wouldn't admit it, before we met Jesus, our God was actually us, amen? Say amen, it was you. You pleased yourself. You did what you wanted to do. And you were actually pretty proud of it. Matter of fact, you probably bragged about it fairly substantially. Said, yeah, I'm pretty good at pleasing me. That's why you did most of the things that you did. That's why you went where you went. That's why you had the friends you had. That's why you engaged in the behaviors that you engaged in. You were worried about you. And most of your time, talent, and treasure was invested in pleasing you. Now guess what? Now you want to please God. And so guess what happens? You get this incredible shift. And the shift goes from, you know, I'm not actually the most important thing in the world. God is. And so what he thinks and wants for me has to be better than what I want for me. So now it is just as Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And so you go from pleasing you to pleasing God. For very simple contrasts. And because of that, your new nature is able to be seen. You see, if you couldn't see that new nature, if you couldn't see the new you, then it would be hard for you to understand that anything happened. But you can. You see, I can tell that I have spiritual thoughts now. I can tell that I actually do loathe sin. I actually do love God. These things are tangible, family. They're, they're not ethereal things that are just kind of floating out there in space. You kind of, you know, like the Dalai Lama. It's like, you know, it, it isn't something that, that's, you know, you have to have super spiritual powers to think on. They're real tangible things. I know I used to please myself. And now I look at it and go, you know, God, I, want God, I want God to be happy about what I'm doing. I actually desire for him to see me doing well. Because I'm one of his kids. We'll get to that next week. If this isn't good enough, we actually get adopted into his family. That's crazy. Because you know what? I wouldn't adopt any of y'all. But I wouldn't adopt me either. <laughs> so you know why well, you, you can have Jeff. You know? Put him on your team. But these things are tangible. They're real. And so our relationship with God, in that sense, is visible to us. And you know what? I like knowing that. I like knowing that I know. 
you see this new nature that you have. In other words, the after that is the after you. You actually have the spirit inside of you. And so these things are testified by the spirit. You see, before you didn't have that little factor in your life. The evidence of your conversion. The thing that witnesses that you are in fact the child of God is that indwelling of the spirit of God within you. And so you start to think differently and you act differently. Everything all of a sudden takes a slightly different flavor. Any of you ever been driving down the road and you, you know, you, because let's face it, that empty lane that is only for cars with two people or the green sticker, the Priuses, <laughs> that lane, that looks really good when yours are stopped. And you see those double lines and you know what they mean. But they're in the back of your head. Nobody's looking. It's empty. My tax dollars paid for that lane. I see that hand in the back. And you're like, I'm just going to, I'll only be in there for like 30 minutes. Okay, Lord? And he's like, no, Jeff, don't do that. And then because he loves you, you look over two lanes and there's California Highway Patrol. (laughs) You see, that's the spirit in you convicting you of sin and righteousness. The right thing to do is to not cross those double yellow lines. The wrong thing to do is to cross those double yellow lines. So the Holy Spirit has done both for you. It said, Jeff, don't do that. That's wrong. And it said, Jeff, do do this because it's right. And you want to know the proof, Jeff? Right there, that CHP officer. <laughs> That's the spirit in you. Now, it's a very simple example, but it's a very perfect example. Because that happens when you're at the front door of the bar, too, and you know you're not supposed to be there. It happens in that relationship which you know should not be physical because you're not married and you haven't gotten there yet, but you're going there and the Holy Spirit's going, you shouldn't be here. It's when you're at that party and they're passing the doobie around and it's going by you and you're like, no, I'm not even supposed to be here, much less smoke that stuff. And the Holy Spirit's telling you, don't do it. There's a reason they call it dope. You guys are a bunch of old stoners, just saying. (laughs) You've got the Spirit of God in you, so when those things happen, the Holy Spirit's going, ah! You've got a built-in spiritual orientation device that lets you know whether it's right with God, wrong with God, which way to go. He's not going to let you down with that regard. You have the Spirit in you. D.L. Moody tells of his conversion experience. Uh, He was not a good guy before he met Jesus. He says, it felt like I was in a a, a new world. When I got up in the morning, the the stars at night seemed brighter, and the sun seemed brighter, and the birds sang sweeter. My whole life, even the trees, leaves looked greener because I was a child of God. And that's what happens to us. You see, the life that we now live is the abundant life in Christ. And because it's the abundant life in Christ, 
it is substantially different than the old life. And you know it. It's visible. A third thing. The Holy Spirit actually empowers you for victory over your flesh. Oh, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You actually have the capacity to have victory over your flesh. Notice verse 12. Let's look at these two verses again. And so then, brethren, we are under obligation. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Uh, Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, you're putting to death the deeds of the body, and you'll live. In other words, you actually have the capacity to mortify, as Paul said, to kill the flesh. Before, you didn't have the capacity to kill your flesh. Your flesh could kill you. And frequently and often did. That's how you ended up in those circumstances and situations, because you didn't have the power fully to fight it. Oh, you could make good decisions, because inherent with all people is the capacity to believe, the capacity to understand. So God is fair in that. He doesn't make people without any capacity to understand the difference between right and wrong. Between good and evil, he gives everyone universally that capacity. But once you have the Spirit in you, it becomes instantaneous. The Spirit gives you actually not just the information, but the power to do something about it. This incredible picture for us that we should walk or live according to the Spirit of God as opposed to the flesh. That's why we are supposed to walk in the Spirit. And thereby we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you don't walk in the Spirit, then here's what's going to happen. You'll fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, you may not go all in for the fleshly things that you might be able to do. Maybe you'll have some restraint, but you're going to be governed almost entirely by the basic appetites of your humanity. Those things which please you. And you're going to be perfectly comfortable doing that. But now, because your new nature is spirit-led, you you can walk by the Spirit. You you, you don't have an excuse to continue uh, to give in to sin. You you don't have to walk in, in those old ways. Your obligation in that sense is no longer to your flesh, but your obligation is to the Spirit. That's why it's imperative that we as Christians... Do all that we can. We have to take decisive action against sin in our lives. Because we have the capacity to do so. Without Christ, you didn't have capacity to fight sin. You could make moral decisions. But to actually fight sin, you couldn't because it was a part of who you are. You now have a new nature, so you have the capacity to fight those little resident tidbits of the old man that still reside within you. Because you have a new nature. Jesus actually said it this way. He said, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you. Better to enter into the kingdom. There in Matthew 5, better to enter in blind in one eye than have your whole body perish. Have your whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble. Now, again, please do not pluck out your eyes this evening and do not cut off your hand. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was using using a, a metaphor for decisive action. He said, look, if you've got some issues, deal with it. Don't want it. Well, you know, <laughs> it's not that bad. 
If you live with sin, sin will live with you. As a believer, you don't have to do that anymore. You can open the door and you can say to sin, get out. You're not welcome here anymore. This is not how I live my life. And you can mean it. So what Jesus was saying was, look, take those steps necessary to do whatever you need to do to put, your, put yourself in position where the Spirit is going to give you all that you're asking for in victory. And he's stating a fact here. It's not a wish. There in Ephesians 2, it says, because we are his workmanship, we're, we're the poema, we're the workmanship of God's hand and heart, created in Christ Jesus, Four good works. That's what it says there in Ephesians 2. And then it goes on to say something very wonderful. That we should walk in them. So if we were flesh, that would be a request that would be pretty hard to fulfill, if not impossible. But because we're in the Spirit, it's no longer hard, nor is it impossible. We actually can do it because we've received the grace gift. That's why we've already seen Paul, as he, as he spoke there in chapter 7, remind us, look, there's a very huge difference between practical righteousness and relational or positional righteousness. I'm righteous. I've been placed in Christ Jesus. My sins are the east from the west, and I am absolutely a believer, and I'm going to heaven. But practical righteousness, that comes from the day-to-day living that out. And that's where we have a little struggle every once in a while, Amen. So he said, who will deliver me from this body of death? The Spirit helps you be delivered from the body of death. Helps you mortify, put to death your flesh. Smack your flesh down a little bit. You've got to do a little WWE with your flesh. You know, put it in a headlock, throw it down. Say, look, I'm not doing this with you. Now, I don't want to carry this point too far, but probably some of you guys, maybe a few of you ladies in here, have been in those situations where there is no way out but to punch somebody right smack dab in the mouth. Again, I'm not suggesting that you hit anybody. But you've been in those situations where you are left with no choice. It is you or them. I've been in a few of those in my lifetime. And you have a choice, you have a decision to make, either to fight so that you can flee, or let someone beat you to a pulp. You know what? I prefer doing the beating than taking the beat down. So, in that sense, spiritually, you can either let the devil put a beat down on you, or you can put a beat down on him. By the Spirit's power, you can say no to those things he's thrusting in your face. When he's trying to beat you up and tear you down, you could say, oh no, not on your life, because the spirit of the living God dwells in me. Amen? So keep this practical. This is application 101 here. This is us taking what God's given us and using it. And so he's going to give us five things here. Uh, that can help us have victory over the flesh. And I'll go through them rather quickly. Again, remind yourselves, you can download these slides uh, from our website, and you'll have them, and that way you can use them for whatever you want to do. You want to study your Bible with those out, you can do it. The first thing is it's imperative to recognize the presence of sin in your flesh. You still have some. Don't forget that. Don't be one of those foolish people that walks around, oh, I'm completely sinless. 
you are asking to get your face smacked by the devil. Because you're going to be wandering around in your self-arrogant pride saying, I'm holy, I'm holy. And then all of a sudden you're going to find out you are not holy. And you're going to get blindsided by that remnant flesh that's in you. That besetting sin, as the book of Hebrews calls it. Those things that are kind of laying around there in the back of your closet. That would like to come out. You don't take them out, but every once in a while you kind of pass by and go, Ooh, I like that. You see, you need to recognize you're still flesh. That's why in chapter 7 he said, I find this principle that evil is present within me. That's what he just got through saying. That is my flesh. Sin can become a very powerful and a very destructive force if you don't recognize you still have the capacity to do it. This is perhaps the biggest problem that we see in ministry with especially pastors. They forget to preach the grace of God that I'm teaching you. I forget that I need it myself because we're in this together. I may be a pastor. That might be my calling on my life. But at the end of the day, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I need to recognize I still have the capacity to sin. I'm not perfect yet. Most of you know that. You can follow me around while I'm driving. You'll see one wheel go over the line. It's like, I'm not going. That sin resident within me. Praise God, I usually stay over here. That and I have a fast track so I can go over there when the hole opens up. You, you, you see, we, we have that capacity. That's why the psalmist David there in the 139th Psalm said there in verse 23, he said, search me, O God. Know my heart and try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any evil or hurtful way in me. God, I want you to check out my heart. Now we know David had some issues, amen? The dude had some serious issues. And he acted on those serious issues a few times. Scripture records them. I like that. Not because I'm proud of what David did. I just see the grace of God in all of it. And I need that same grace. Haggai's counsel to to ancient Israel was very much the same way. He said there in the very first chapter of the book of Haggai, consider your ways, O Israel. Know it. A second thing for us is that uh, for us to kill sin in our lives, we have to have our hearts fixed on God. You're not going to do much sin slaying if you're actually focusing on the sin. If you're looking at the world and say, I'd like to have some of that then you're going to apply your time, effort, and energy, your time, your talent, your treasure, to acquiring that which you put your heart on. So put your heart on God. You fix your heart on God, you'll go after God. That's why David said, keep my heart steadfast, O God. We've got to stay there. We've got to be there. A third way. If you want to kill sin in your life, here's a great way. Meditate on God's word. One of the ways that you learn the traps of the enemy is to know what God has to say about it. What God has to say about life and godliness, about walking in the spirit. The Lord's truth becomes clear when you, when you immerse yourself in it. it. It is staggering to me sometimes as I'm studying, I'm like just, scripture just pops out of my head. Because I spent time in the word. And I want to encourage you, that's not just something for pastors, that's something for every child of God. 
The more the word you know, the more power you have against the the untruth that's going to come your way. When Jesus responded to his own temptation every time, he said, thus, in essence, says the Lord. Get thee behind me saying, this is what God's word says. I'm not doing what you're saying. I'm going to do what God's word says. So if you want to have victory, know God's opinion on everything. That's why the 119th Psalm says, Prophet David, he's saying, look, thy word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, God. So the more you know the word, the better equipped you're going to be to do that. A fourth way, you want to destroy sin. Commune with God in prayer. Talk to God. I can tell you what will happen when you talk to the other people at the party. They're going to tell you, party. Talk to God about that situation. You're thinking about a new job. Talk to God. You're thinking about getting married. In Jesus' name, talk to God first. Because your boyfriend's going to say, yeah, I love you. You ask God whether he actually loves you or not. Goes both ways, by the way. Picking on my fellow men. You want to know what to do in any situation? Talk to the Lord. You want to defeat sin? Talk to God. Don't talk to people who don't have your best interest in mind. You talk to God. Commune in prayer. First Peter says there in chapter 4, Be of sound judgment, sober in spirit, for the purpose of prayer. Sound judgment comes from being purposed in prayer. When we're faithful in, in those disciplines, we, we discover God's way. And then finally, the fifth way is to put to death sin in our lives. We have to practice being obedient to God. If you want the blessings of God, you need to be obedient to God. If you want to have victory over sin, you need to do what he says. Because you have a choice. You can do things your way, or you can do things his way. That's the basic two choices we have. There are two roads. You're on one or you're on the other. And that's true practically in your life once you're actually a Christian. You can still go down the wrong road. God doesn't prevent you from taking detours. Read the book of Hebrews. It begins in chapter 2 with just drifting away. Amen? God allows us to drift. He doesn't want us to, but the choice is yours to do so. So if you want to be on God's path, you want to be on God's plan, you want to do things God's way, you want to put to death sin, you need to do some serious obedience to the Lord. So when he says, no, that's not what I want you to do, that's your opinion on matters. The world may tell you different. The world may say, you know what, well, everybody does that. You know, surely you you can't have a problem. I mean, you know, those Christians, I mean, they're, after all, I mean, they take it way too far. No, God actually said what he meant and means what he says. So do that if you want to have victory over sin. Paul's basically assuring us that the work of the Holy Spirit has already given us the victory, and if you want to see it, then live it. The Holy Spirit has given you the victory already. But if you want to see it, live it out. Make it real for you. I can't make it real for you. You have to walk your own walk. You have to live your own life. You need to do what God's called you to do. If you want to see power in your life, then respond to what God has told you to do. 
I can feed you truth all day long. We can sit down and have a Bible study 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Your head could explode from biblical knowledge. At the end of the day, you've got to go do something with it. Be ye therefore a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, because to hear it and not do it is to deceive your own self. And then you will walk in sin. You'll still walk the wrong way, even though you know the right way. So you've got to be a doer. Just before his ascension, Jesus actually promised the apostles the, the, the infilling, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit there in Acts 1.8, which we covered in our introduction to the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit upon us, overflowing us, giving us all that we need. You're never going to be lacking because of God. The only reason you'll be lacking is because of your own implementation of what God has given the only reason you'll be short on, on anything is not because God's hand wasn't long enough to reach your problem. It's because you wouldn't reach out and take what he offered. That's a fact. You'll be able to resist. You'll have the power to do that. You'll have the truth. It'll back it up. He'll, he'll give you the ability, but you've still got to do it. You, you have to have some trust. You have to have some faith. You see, because without faith, it, it is impossible to please God. When our minds are under God's control, we'll invariably yield to his will. And so he's basically saying, look, we have the power, all of it that we need for victory. Let's walk in that powerful new life. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and let's pray together. Worship team's going to come back out. Now, I recognize maybe some of you in here are just doing amazingly well. Praise the Lord for that. Would you help others? Find somebody that you can invest in and share those truths that have, God's been pressing upon your heart with them. But for some of you, I'm going to have some pastors come forward. Maybe, maybe you're struggling. Maybe the power of, of the Holy Spirit ha- has not really been uh, your forte. You, you, you haven't really experienced the victory that scripture says we ought to have. As the pastors come forward, they'll be available for prayer after service. Look, it's a simple thing. You have to ask. And, and if you ask, scripture says you will receive according to his will. And because his will is that you do have power and because his will is that you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you, and his will is that you're not under the condemnation of the wicked one. His will is that you do have that power that is enabling you to withstand any attack that comes your way and to walk not just having survived, but to thrive. Because that's God's plan for you. You need to ask God for that plan. 